The One Story is TS Studios weekly podcast series where we narrate the Spotil's long-form features at the intersection of health, gender, and culture. How schools, colleges socialize Indians into perpetuating Islamophobia by Arman Khan. This article was published in the Swadil on Feb 19th, 2022. I was the only Muslim student in my class. In many ways, this sentence is the foundation on which the Indian Muslim students experience rests. There is also a distinctly defining moment when the student will become acutely and rudely aware of their identity. When they are reduced to their surname, stripped away of any intellectual bearings they might possess and left quite forlorn in an increasingly hostile world. For me, this moment arrived rather unexpectedly in 6th grade. Our teacher was explaining the trigger behind the national uprising of 1857 when Hindu and Muslim soldiers rose against the British after a rumour spread that the new bullet cartridges were laced with lard, that is pork fat, and tallow, that is cow fat. After all, cows are sacred for the Hindus. But pork? The teacher was more than happy to put all the murmurs in the class at rest. Ask Arman, she said. You can hurl any abuse at a Muslim, but if you call him swine, he will not take it. The next two weeks that followed were perhaps the most traumatic years of my childhood. Almost every second classmate casually called me a swine. And this left me feeling quite hollow and a little less enthusiastic I was to go to school every day. I started detesting history, afraid that its seemingly innocuous textbooks would somehow equip my classmates with a new set of bullets laced with hate. Now, viral videos of Muslim students and teachers being asked to remove quote-unquote that, that is the hijab, in the colleges of Karnataka understandably bring back the little battles that many of us have been navigating all our lives. Islamophobia and its ugly intersection with our educational institutions have always existed. In tier 2 cities and villages, this takes a more demonic form. In an extensive study conducted by Human Rights Watch, it was found that Muslims, Dalits and tribal students in these areas bear the brunt of some of the most brutal forms of discrimination. From being called dirty and asked to clean toilets to facing a lack of schools in Muslim-dominated areas. In the subsection of the study titled Muslims, we see the case of Sahir from the Goila Dairy Slam in Delhi. He talks about being frequently beaten up and humiliated in the class as Hindu students look at him and snigger. While Javed, from the same school, shares how teachers don't give him permission to use even the toilets and refer to him as a mullah when they get angry. Only last year, a grade 8 modern history textbook in the state of Telangana had the picture of a terrorist, quote-unquote, holding a gun in one hand and the Quran in the other. In 2020, while the world grappled with the terror that was COVID-19, 47 Muslim girl students were reportedly made to sit outside their classroom for an exam because there wasn't enough space for them inside. 
But inside the spacious classrooms of our world-class metropolis colleges, while the sun shines bright across their French windows, the reality is no different. Ali, a 25-year-old lawyer based in Mumbai, recalls how even young and highly educated law professors end up eventually revealing their Islamophobic fangs. During a lecture on family law, he says, while explaining the Islamic section, the professor told the class categorically and with confidence that for Muslims, it all boils down to lust. In Mothering a Muslim, Nazia Iram surveys the disturbing range of bullying and harassment that Muslim students face in Indian schools to answer the difficult question of how children as young as 7 or 8 can possibly learn to hate. The bullies are only repeating what they hear in their homes, Iram writes. A conversation are laced with hate and awareness of the other and it is natural for children to start mirroring this in their words. According to Ghazla Wahab, author of Born a Muslim, Some Truths About Islam in India, the source of the multifaceted demon that is Islamophobia comes from an acute sense of ignorance in our classrooms, the lack of knowledge about the Islamic way or the failure by non-Muslims to grasp the nuances of the Muslim culture. Is, uh, the best schools in India uh, traditionally were run by Christians. Either they were convent schools or they were run by the church. So these schools had a Christian ethos. Uh, so you had the Lord's Prayer in the morning. Then in convent schools, in my convent school, uh, we had a catechism class. So Muslims mm-hmm. or non-Christians were uh, not required to attend those. So we attended moral science. Everything, the whole atmosphere of the school was uh, Christian-dominated. So we had to accept it. Wahab also points out how many Hindu rituals have been gradually and organically normalized in our schools. Whether it is the lighting of the lamp before an event or recital of the Gayatri Mantra. Community should have invested in the last 30, 40 years in building some very good quality schools where others would aspire to come. We have a few examples like Aligarh and Jamia. And uh, if you are familiar with either either of them, you'll know that a lot of non-Muslim students also study there. Uh, there are Hindu people, uh, kids who study in Jamia and they imbibe the Islamic way of education in the form that they say this prayer in the morning, that Iqbal's poetry. But even these spaces are no longer the safe heavens they used to be. Jamia Milia Islamic University consistently ranked in the top spot of the QS rankings, but faced perhaps one of the most violent attacks in 2019 when Delhi police reportedly entered the campus, forcefully barged into their library and arrested students en masse under the pretext that there were anti-national elements among the students who were protesting against the Citizenship Amendment Act. For Fiza, who was part of the university since 2015 and now works as a journalist, the attacks cast a long shadow on what was safe and unsafe in India's capital. She was also present in the library when the incident occurred. That night, Fiza's parents, who knew that she was in the library that time, recoiled in terror as they saw visuals of students being carted off the campus with their hands raised. In the past, 
Whenever I've told them that I've entered Jamia, they relax. They always believed that nothing bad could happen to me there. Ghazala Jamil, assistant professor at the Center for the Study of Law and Governance in Jawaharlal Nehru University, says that discrimination takes many forms and the same must also be understood from the way our cities are geographically organized. It's not only that only Muslims are segregated and others are mixed. Residential areas in India are strongly marked by class and caste divisions. It begins early with parents often showing youngsters these fault lines and dictating who to make friends with and what kind of people to stay away from. In higher education, particularly for PhD courses, Jamil says the road for a Muslim student is often a lonely one. Dalit students and teachers find a way to come together on campus, so there's a sense of community among them even if they are being discriminated. But for Muslims who are present without any quota, there's none of that. For many, even getting any mentoring is difficult. In her book, Accumulation by Segregation, Muslim Localities in Delhi, Jamil further probes the politics of segregation. Articulating the crux of the book, she tells me that even if elite schools are geographically accessible to Muslims, the gatekeeping to filter out the larger Muslim crowd is evident. Across India, private school admissions are either not regulated or very minimally regulated. For example, in Delhi, only entry-level class uh, nursery or KG admissions are regulated. Private schools pretty much do what they want and act as autonomous fiefdoms. And the crudest manifestation of this gatekeeping manifests itself in post-trial scenarios too, even between students. Faraz Arif Ansari, a filmmaker based in Bombay, whose recent work, Sheer Korma, was widely praised for its sensitive portrayal of queerness within the Muslim milieu, has stark memories of post-1993 riots in Bombay. After the riots, when the school opened again, a friend, who was my usual benchmate, refused to sit next to me, they say. Later, during our recess, when I asked him why, he just said, well, mom said I cannot be friends with Muslims. I remember it so vividly because for unexplained reasons, it was truly the first time my faith stood out like a sore thumb. Naturally, the long shadow of discrimination follows Muslim students, globally also, when they seek employment. In 2015, the plight of one 22-year-old Zishan Khan went viral when he was explicitly and officially denied employment purely on the basis of his religion. The corollary to the only Muslim in the class experience is mirrored in workplaces too. According to a study published last year, being Muslim at the workplace conducted by the feminist collective Parcham, it was found that a Muslim employee will face discrimination regardless of the number of employees in the company. The report further found that recruiters shy away from hiring quote-unquote hijabi women lest they come across as regressive in their hiring practices and choices. Interestingly, the study's sample consisted of largely urban, English-speaking, upper-caste Muslims in the age range of 27 to 40 years. The Karnataka controversy has only reinforced the fact that Islamophobia remains a multi-pronged demon that has always been the rotten nucleus of the very spaces meant to contain and mitigate it.
along with Islamophobia's obvious long-term impact on mental health and self-esteem, its many ramifications continue to haunt Muslims well into their adulthood and beyond. This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios, the production company that brings the Swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films.